Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. When Beacon Hill legislators took up a big criminal justice bill recently, a lot of the usual voices were part of the debate. But one figure stood out because he is far better known for knocking down passes than lobbying lawmakers. Devin McCourty, the star free safety of the New England Patriots, has stepped up on the issue of criminal justice reform and become a passionate voice for change. We are delighted to have him join us here today for the podcast. Devin McCourty, welcome and thanks so much for coming in. Uh, thanks for the invite. So you were up on Beacon Hill uh, lobbying on the bill that, that was recently passed, and, and I know you and some of the uh, others in the Patriots organization uh, were particularly focused on this issue of how we deal with young people in the criminal justice system, and you, uh, uh, you were advocating for sort of two parts that were being considered in that bill. One was to raise the, the age uh, in which juvenile courts uh-huh. are, uh, have jurisdiction from 7 to 12, and the other was to raise the age at the top end uh-huh. so that, so that uh, young people are not uh, in the adult system until they're, they're age 19. And, and I guess you got, uh, you, uh, you're playing 500 ball, I guess you might say, because they did, they, the bill did raise the age of juvenile court to 12. Uh-huh. Uh, so was that, uh, that, that, that felt good to get at least that part of it done? Yeah, you know what's been interesting, I think, as a player, um, obviously not my expertise at all, and just sitting down with all the different uh, people who have kind of dedicated their lifelong, you know, careers, passions to learning this stuff is they, they all they just keep reminding us that nothing will go, you know, it won't go perfect right away. You know, you won't get everything you ask for. Um, you know, these laws and different things have been this way for years. And to just think, you know, one bill will pass and it'll just be done and, you know, the world will be exactly how you want it is just not reality. So um, it's been encouraging just to see. Um, the needle move a little bit, and you know we went. You know we've been talking about raise the age uh, for a while, and right. um, you know I think for us as players, just getting behind that and, and adding to it, um, we were told was a big lift. So um, definitely some positivity uh, leaving that and seeing the criminal justice reform bill passed and seeing the improvements was definitely positive. Right, and so uh, help us understand a little like what brought you to this issue. Uh, your your uh paid to play professional football, which you do quite well. Uh, there's nothing in your, uh, in your job description that, that calls on you to, to step out and speak up on these issues. Yes, yeah, interesting. I think, especially when I started, I didn't think, you know, I'd be at the state house talking to different right. people. Um, that whole experience was different, you know, just being, you know, involved in that. And um, honestly, you know, like myself and Troy Brown, we were talking as we were going in. It was kind of like, whoa, you know, we're like <laughs> – we sure like what are we doing here and um i would say it just started as a passion you know i think you see different things going on around you um players have been known for years as far as giving back to the community whether it be you know you know myself is sickle cell disease different you know guys cancer uh, dante hightower does diabetes um you know tom's great with the best buddies program so i think you know you've always seen players very involved in different charities and giving back um, but I think as a whole, that's kind of very comfortable for people. It's kind of like, yeah, they should do those things. You know, that makes sense. And I think um, a lot of us as players are kind of realizing, you know, race is a huge issue. And not that it's we're realizing. I think we've always lived with it. But I think we're starting to see that we have a platform that can create change. Um, and whether it was, you know, a shooting or some type of incident that happened and, you know, we saw the mass media blow it up. 
Um, and I think that kind of got a lot of guys' attention. And it was kind of what can we do? Um, and, you know, for myself, it started with Malcolm Jenkins texting me, you know, that he wanted to get guys involved in doing something. And then him and Anquan Bolden started the Players Coalition. Um, and then I realized that, you know, it's a great way to get involved. You know, they had already had the infrastructure. They started something. And what they were looking for was more players to get involved to to really move it. And um, I think it's been great because so far everything we've done has been very organized, um, very strategic on, you know, how to – get people's attention, get the awareness, and then to actually get things done. So um, to me, it kind of started with something that obviously I live every day. Right. And then seeing something and, and deciding, you know, I have a platform to make a change. You know, now what's next? And I think, you know, you've seen all of these steps of really us navigating. There's no, you know, there's no blueprint to how to do this, but navigating on how we can help uh, all these different communities. Right. And I mean, certainly there are a lot, a lot of players uh, have been involved in different causes, but it's also true that the issues that you've gotten involved with are ones that, you know, can make people more uncomfortable. It's not quite the same as fundraiser for different, Mm -hmm. you know, medical causes and and things like that. Um, Has that been, uh, you know, difficult or have you you felt some of the pushback, uh, uh, you know, going all the way up uh, to the, to the, to the president's office uh, around the, the issues of uh, take, taking a knee and, and protesting what have been, uh, uh, you know, issues around uh, police police interactions with uh, black communities? Yeah, it is definitely, it hasn't been all easy and, you know, smiles. You know, it's definitely been pushed back. I think the encouraging part is it's been very open in our organization and supported by everyone, you know, from the top uh, with our owner, you know, Mr. Kraft, and then his son, Jonathan Kraft, the president, uh, very supportive. You know, Jonathan Kraft came to our first what we call Listen and Learn tour um, at Harvard Law where we got to sit down um, for, I mean, like eight to ten hours with different experts talking to us about, you know, different issues right here in Boston um, to doing a panel with both the Kraft. So um, I think getting that support has been huge um, as far as knowing you're doing the right thing. Um, but obviously there's pushback. I, I think, you know, you just think back to – I guess that's two year two years ago now when myself and Martellus Bennett raised a fist during the national anthem when we opened against Arizona and seeing, you know, between my Twitter, Instagram, you seeing all of that all that stuff and then uh with our PR guy just showing me some of the the feedback they were getting. Um, you know, you got some po- definitely some positivity. Some people were all for it, but like anything, you know, when you're talking about race, you know, in this country which um, is probably one of the most uncomfortable uh, topics in the country um, from both ends of, of people wanting to talk about it, some people believing it doesn't exist. Um, you saw all types of things, you know, some of the most racist things you could read. Um, you saw, like, my Twitter handle, you know, between just getting racial slurs and, and different things like that, I think was very encouraging because you knew you were doing the right thing. That obviously is still, some, you some know, attention, I it, guess. it's still a huge issue. So um, I think even with the backlash and, and everything, um, it's kind of proven that, you know, we're doing something that matters to people and um, different people have reached out. And you've saw things that have happened throughout, you know, Boston and the country um, that has showed that you need people to go out there in the front line and try to create change. Mm-hmm. And um, and 
and just talk a little bit about you know how how you, you said it's something that's unavoidable that you certainly haven't escaped this issue about about the issues around race and law enforcement. Well, I mean, what's been your own experience or your own experience growing up um, in uh, you know in, in New York outside the city uh, with with police or or even now as an adult, what sort of uh, what's what's that experience been? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. A couple of years ago, I did a. Um, a race and gender uh, kind of panel that Andrea Kramer does right at um, Boston University. And one of the questions came up, um, do you think there's there's racism just in Boston? And um, Scalabrini was on it. And Scalabrini talked about how, um, you know, playing with, like, Paul Pierce and uh, Kevin Garnett and those guys, he saw, like, how much people loved them in the city. And... You know, I said to him, I said, but you got to think about it. You know, you got guys walking around 6'6", six, 6'10". Six, six, like, when they walk around, everyone knows who they are instantly. Right. You know, I'm like, you got to go ask the average citizen who walks around um, when no one knows them. They don't know they're an athlete or anything. There's no celebrity uh, importance to them, how they get treated. And, you know, I just remember my first year here where, you know, no one knew who I was and, um, I won't, this wasn't even a huge thing, but I remember being just at, you know, the local stopping shop and, you know, going to take my cart out and there was an older lady walking. I was like, I'll let her walk by. And she walked by and she just like paused and stared at me and looked me up and down. And I was like, I know there's not a lot of black people in the town, but <laughs> like, did, am I doing something wrong by letting you walk by? Like, I'm, I'm thinking I'm being, you know, courteous and just, you know, that feeling. And then, Three years later, after, you know, you have some success in football, how much that changes, you know. And I think that still shows, you know, where people, you know, I don't think they can, I don't think they necessarily wish ill intent towards you, but just to have a different vibe and, and feeling when they see you. And then I think for me growing up, um, I've never been involved in, you know, something where, you know, I felt like we were, you know, attacked or anything physically. Um, but so many, like, different small incidents. You know, I remember in college um, being right on campus and uh, waiting for the bus, and uh, I was a freshman or sophomore, and a senior drives by in a car, and we just jump in his car because, you know, we know him, he's on the football team, and, you know, we drive, I mean, literally two or three blocks and turn left, and the cop pulls us over and says he doesn't, he didn't see a signal, and we're in the campus dining hall parking lot, and next thing you know, three cop cars pulling behind, lights flashing, yelling, get out the car. And, you know, we're sitting there, like, we have book bags. Like, we're obviously college students, and we're like, what's like what's the problem? And it was like, well, we don't know why you guys just hopped in the car. Like, what's going on here? And we're like, there's nothing going on here. We were waiting for the bus. We saw a friend. We jumped in the car. And it was kind of like, why like, why do you need, you know, all of these cop cars here? We're on campus. Like, there's no problem. Um, and I remember going, uh, all of us having to go to the police department uh, for a follow-up to speak um, to one of the head people in charge on how we felt and what we thought um, of that. Nothing came from it. Um, but I remember just leaving that situation feeling like, was that normal? Was that not normal? You know, I don't. I didn't think it was so, you know, I didn't think it was so crazy that, 
you know, was, you know, straight obvious profiling or, or something like that. But I think in the back of your mind, you're like, but was that profiling? Like, was that an issue? Like, I would think that's pretty normal on a college campus, someone jumping in a car and, you know, riding. But you just, you never know. And I think once you start to think about those different things and, you know, that wasn't like, we're talking 30, 40 years ago. You know, that was 10 years ago when I was in college. Um, and to still be talking about those topics now in 2018, I think, just shows the importance of it. Right. And for you, uh, whether it's the, the game that you referred to with uh, Racing of Fist or, or the games in the last season taking any, what is it? what was the message or what, was, what, what were you saying by that yourself? Yeah, so I, I guess the bigger one was this year when we played Houston week, I want to say week three, um, you know, I think – after the president's remarks uh, towards Colin Kaepernick and other players that had been taking a knee at the time, a lot of guys throughout the league felt like even those guys took a knee, they were no different than us. You know, we felt like when when he said that, it was a kind of shot at our league and the players in it. And um, I do think responding just to him, I wouldn't say was necessarily the right thing because I, I don't, I don't think what Trump said should make us act a certain way. Like, the country is what it is. Like, how we felt um, shouldn't have been dictated by what he said. That's why I have so much respect for Kaepernick. Like, he did, you know, what he did because of how he felt directly. Um, but I do think what he what he did kind of opened a lot of people's eyes and made them decide you know, am I with what this guy is saying and what some people might believe in America or am I totally against it? Because obviously there's no really middle ground where I can stand and say I support both of these things. And I thought, um, you know, being involved in that and being a leader, uh, um, a black guy on a team, a captain, you know, once that happened, I'm in the locker room and I got everybody coming up to me like, well, what are we going to do? And I'm like, huh? Mm -hmm. You know, and guys are like, Whatever you want to do, like, that's what we want to do. Like, we fully support that. Um, and I just remember, like, thinking, like, this is what this is what I feel we need to do. And um, and still, to me, the reason why we took that knee was still to bring awareness to what was going on. Um, but I do think taking a knee got so much media attention and so much – direction to the wrong thing uh with the military and the men and women that fight for our country right um well the president i mean he, it, he tried to frame it that exactly. way right? exactly and to his own benefit frankly and that's why i thought going forward like let's not let this ship steer that way you know if, right. if you if us taking a knee you want to listen to what the president says and and steer that ship directly towards the, all right we'll find another way to get your attention but i like we have so many guys in that locker room that have parents, uh, grandparents, siblings that have either fought or served our country, have lost their life to. Like none of those players in there felt that way, and um, that's why I thought it was important moving forward that we find different ways to get the people that kind of agree with what we're talking about, give them a chance to listen to what we what we're actually talking about, and not, you know understanding it and thinking, you know, how the, the whole conversation was being hijacked that them believing that was the truth, but bringing a real truth to them. So I thought that was important, you know, doing the listen and learn tours and, you know, writing the op-ed with the, with the crafts. That was a way where people can read that and see, like, okay, like, 
we're not I'm not against what he's talking about. I'm actually for that. Like I support that. And then next thing you know, like we're not even talking about the military and the, the men and women that fight for our country. We've actually moved on to now where there is no escape. You know, you have to hear what this is and say, you know, like I don't I you I think it sounds crazy if you say, you know, yeah, I disagree. You know that we should be have that we should have seven year olds in court. You know, right. being tried as a juvenile. You know, if right. you support that, then you have to stand there and say, you know, I support that. And I think then you get people like, well, I don't want to say I support that, so I guess I am. So it's been really good, I think, being able to escape that hijacking of that national anthem and the different protests uh, and getting down to the actual truth. Right. No. No. Exactly. I mean, I think you frame it right that. The, the whole issue around the taking the knee was kind of seeing this this play out sort of at 30,000 feet. And and as you're saying, you know, when you drill down, there's there's some real things happening on the ground that 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 those protests we're talking about what we're seeing as sort of broad injustices in the system. But how we go about tackling them is going to uh, uh, I'm kind of mindful every time I say tackling them. I don't know, uh, but um, <laughs> But, you know, that we've got to do that sort of piece by exactly. piece, as you were saying at the very beginning, that, you know, it's kind of a long, a long battle. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to bring it down to the ground level, talk a little bit about this issue that you've zeroed in on. And as you as you referenced, along with the team owner, Robert <coughs> Kraft, and his son, uh, Jonathan Kraft, you, the three of you co-authored an op-ed that appeared in The Globe in February um, on, on this issue of, of, uh, of raising the age. And so what, what in particular makes you feel like that's, along with other changes that we might need, why, why do you feel like that's an important step we could take to both not have kids that young in the juvenile court, but also at the upper end when you've got kids or young men and women? I mean, see, even, even in my language, I'm sort of showing that uncertainty. What do you call an 18-year-old? And I think that's, you know, and, and this idea that, that we shouldn't be, you know, just taking them and treating them the way we would a 30 or 35 year old uh, in in the court system and the criminal justice system and the effects that can have. Yeah, it's been interesting just learning the different studies. You know, I think um, when we sat there in January and even Jonathan Kraft, when he heard them say, you know, as early as seven years old, he was like, "Wait, I don't, I don't get what you mean. Like, how can, how can a seven year old understand what's being told to them in court?" And then you see studies show, you know, the brain's not fully developed until 25. So you're sitting here saying, well, are these kids then? We're talking about kids. So obviously everything is kind of, you know, a situation-based, you know, different things happen. And, but I, I think as a whole, when you start talking about kids that are 17, 18 years old, and, um, you know, we've been just seeing different things. You talk about, like, policing in school, and you get these kids that – you know, maybe act up in school, and then now, you know, they're sitting in the juvenile system, now they're on probation. We've heard stories where, you know, kids can't even play sports because they have to have an ankle bracelet on and they have to be inside by a certain time, and, you know, they have a game that runs late. Now the cops are at their door and there's a problem. They're bringing a guy off the field. So I just think when we start talking about our youth being the future and having good education, being able to be fixtures in the community and uh, be positive influences in the community. If we just throw them in a juvenile system and create this train of thought that, you know, I am what's around me, especially in these, you know, these poverty-stricken areas where, you know, there are 
whether it's parents or uncles or, you know, just friends around them that are in and out of the criminal justice system. And that's all they see. And then now, you know, they're already thinking that's what the future holds. And then we created at 10 years old, which is a very popular age uh, in the juvenile system, 10 and 11. We create that going back and forth to court and, you know, appearing here and, you know, you know, your parents have this fee to cover, that fee to cover. You just create that cycle of a kid who now could be a good student, could be sharp, but he, he or she just doesn't think that's possible because of being in the juvenile system because they got in an argument with a teacher or, or, you know, a resource officer's tired of the same kid getting in trouble three or four times um, that now they say, you know, we're going to just put you in the system. And I thought it was interesting at the State House hearing Troy Brown talk. He talked about how, you know, when he was uh, a young kid in school, um, he had an issue with uh, just going to the bathroom. And he said his parents would send him to school um, with three or four pairs of clothes sometimes. And uh, he said he had to wear the same clothes sometimes in school. And he said he was late a lot because his mom had to work and he had to wait for his younger siblings to get on the bus. And he said, I was a clown in school. He said, I would get in trouble all the time. And he said, in the country in Mississippi, you know, I went to the principal's office. Mm -hmm. He said, but, like, I'm looking at some of these things. I would have clearly been a candidate to be in a juvenile system. And he said, I feel like I turned out all right being sent to the principal's office, but can't imagine where my life would have turned if I would have been in and out of the criminal justice system as a juvenile having to go back and forth to court. And I thought that was just a prime example of you see a guy who's been a, a very positive influence on the community, obviously as a football player, but in, in many different ways and still now, you know, giving back to the community um, because he wasn't just thrown in the system and forgotten about, but, you know, actually given a chance and, and dealt with the different things that were going on in his life, uh, which were the cause, not, you know, because he was a bad person and needed uh, to be in and out of the, the system. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and, and you've, you, you've had a lot of support from the Patriots organization, and I mean, obviously, the involvement of the of the top uh, top officials of the team itself in this issue. What has that been like? You know, sort of working with them on on something outside of uh, outside of the game. Uh, it's been awesome. Um, I think it, it shows more of who they are as people. I think, obviously, uh, in football, when it comes down to, we all want to win. So. Uh, when that's the case, we're all doing anything that we have to do to win, and, you know, that's the goal. Um, but now, like, this is real life. You know, this is things that, to me, is what is in your heart. So uh, to see them fully support and not just, you know, they don't even, like, just lend their name or say, go, like, they want to be involved. Um, seeing Mr. Kraft, you know, go all the way to visit Meek Mill and hear his story. Right. And, uh, me getting to talk to him, and he's telling me about the story, and he's passing on what he learned, um, and then going out there in the interview and just saying, like, the criminal justice system is wrong. Like, we need to fix that. Um, to me, shows how much they care and uh, puts value in just being able to play for an organization like that, you know, not just football-wise and being here and, you know, winning and competing for Super Bowls, but I think actually – you know, having value and saying, like, I play for a great organization, not just because of our tradition and winning, but because of the people involved and the people at the top all the way to the bottom. So um, to me, it's been I've been very proud, you know, to go out there and, you know, whatever I'm involved with, you know, it's always going to be associated as a member of the New England Patriots. I've been proud to, to have that uh, along with my title.
And and the players' coalition that that you've been part of and that's been working on a lot of these issues is a league-wide organization. Is that right? That that has a uh, uh, funding to pursue broadly different causes or social justice causes. Yeah, we have players. I would say we have about a little over a hundred players probably um, participating in some like form and capacity. Like everyone's not all in involved in everything. Some guys are specifically in their cities and they go to a couple different events. Then we have a task force, uh, which I'm a part of with 12 guys who, you know, we met in Miami about a month ago to, to discuss different things we want to do moving forward. So uh, it's been incredible just to see the passion throughout the league of, of different guys who want to create change and do things and um, continually to try to spread throughout the league to get as many guys um, in the league as possible and then hopefully be able to even venture outside just our sport and, and get this to where, you know, all players and celebrities are using their platform, you know, not just for great, you know, medical causes and stuff like that, but, you know, for a chance to improve the country we live in. Right, and I know that, uh, I mean, I've certainly seen some things written saying that they think that uh, that that your role and using the, the visibility and the stature that you have uh, with others, uh, you know, played a role on Beacon Hill in the uh, consideration of that juvenile part of the part of the bill. Yeah, and that's what people were telling us, and I think we're using that going forward. Um, in Sacramento, um, the some players went and held a forum, you know, for the DA races, just to to help people understand the importance that the DA plays, um, and that the people in the community have a, a huge say, like you get to vote that. Right. Um, so it's getting people to get involved in um, whether it's they come just to see or meet the football player, but have to now sit through the forum and listen to the different candidates and get out there and vote um, has been huge. So that's been big seeing that in, in Sacramento and, um, and, and being able to educate ourselves on the DA races and the different things I thought, um, learning about what a lot of those guys did in Philadelphia, um, getting Krausner in there right. um, was huge because they kind of learned the importance of the DA races and uh, they were very involved in, in trying to help the community understand that importance and, and getting them to go out there and vote. And it seems like he's been doing a, a great job uh, of trying to help that community out. So um, it, it seems like, they had great feedback on, on how they were able to get involved. And it wasn't for them backing a certain candidate, but right. just getting people to to go and learn and see how, you know, they can affect their own communities. Right. Now, that's been kind of a national campaign going on, and it's hit here in Boston where uh, uh, Suffolk County mm-hmm. is now in the midst of a big race mm-hmm. for, for DA with the current DA stepping down. So it's a pretty wide-open race. And uh, – and, you know, there's been the same kind of public information campaign to get people to understand how important it is. So, And so what sort of role do you see going forward for yourself? I mean, you've had, as you said, this kind of, you know, one one sort of step victory with, the, with, with that part of the bill. What do you plan to be, work on next? Yeah, I think we keep trying to see what is relevant and important. So like you said, with the DA races coming up, um, I believe in September, um, trying to see how we can get involved in getting people to understand that importance right here in Boston. Um, so I would probably say that is the that is the next step um, going forward, just because that, that has great importance and value um, to the city right now. And I think trying to figure out uh, what's the best way 
uh, to get involved with that. And then I think for us is continuing to educate ourselves. Um, we want to go and watch like uh, bail hearings just so we can see how that goes because uh, talking to guys that did that uh, in Pennsylvania, they said it was very eye-opening um, just sitting throughout the day and seeing different people come up, um, watching to see how the judge treated everyone. They said it was very interesting to see that. So um, that's something that um, we're interested as players to go see. Um, it's funny because we're, we're over here now trying to see how much we can cram in before the end of July comes and we get into training camp. Um, so we're, we're trying to see if we could just get all those things. But I would say between that and then the DA races of trying to get involved in that in some way, uh, hopefully soon. And, and just lastly, I mean, how are you feeling, uh, you know, you, being involved, uh, you know, more actively in these issues uh, about the whole question about how we're doing around race in the country? Uh, you know, in some ways, we've seen the conversation get poisoned and, and very contentious. The, uh, certainly, Trump has made a lot of uh, what people consider inflammatory remarks that some, you know, some people have said have set things back backwards, yet... Uh, you know, yet there's a lot of other uh, signs that, you know, you might say signs of optimism in terms of people stepping forward. So how do you how do you size all that up in terms of where you think we're at right now? Yeah, I think Trump has definitely made it an, an issue to everyone. I, I think it's always been an issue. Um, but I think because of how outspoken he is and says whatever he wants, um, you see people support that. So I think there's probably been people who have felt that way for years and they just stay in their little bubble and now you know they have the confidence because he's a president of the United States and if he says it they're like okay this is this is okay you know we, I can be out in public and feel this way and and do what I think on the converse side of that you see people like this is what we're dealing with like we have to do something about this like this is unacceptable um, and I think now it's become more of an issue um, that is on the mainstream and you know I think before that, you have a lot of people, even till this day, that will say, you know, I don't get what's the problem. There's no racism. You know, there's no there's no race issue. And they'll only look at because you were here and now you're here. So everything's done. Like, you should be happy about just that. Um, and I think because of his remarks, you now have a, a conversation and a topic that has to be addressed. And people want to address it, you know, and... Um, I think that that state of, you know, being comfortable of talking about the uncomfortable things um, is more common now, um, whether it's doing a podcast like this or, you know, hopefully throughout the NFL season, seeing different things that players are doing in communities. So people who want to just watch football can't help but see, you know, those different things. I, I think that's a big step uh, of race in our country on a whole. You know, there's no... There's no sport or, or anything watched more than the Super Bowl. And, you know, I think continuing to see things build up and then seeing things around that game um, deal with race, I, I think hits people right in their face of, of having to deal with it and, and hear about it and hear all different perspectives and sides from it. Well, with that, I uh, thank you so much, Devin McCourty, for uh, letting us be one little part of, of that conversation and coming in here and talking with us. I, know, I appreciate you know what you guys do on a whole, and uh, I'm happy to play a small part of trying to push it forward, but uh, it's having podcasts like this and doing things on the regular um, and giving me a, a platform and an outlet to come and talk, so I appreciate it. 
Well, great. And so you have been listening to another installment of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. You can listen to us every week. You can subscribe via SoundCloud or iTunes. Thanks again to Devin McCourty. Good luck in the year ahead. Good luck with uh, your new baby. <laughs> and, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you.